on. Hello, today in this episode we are going to talk about the concept of neoliberalism. Today I have two guests, Mr. Matthew and Man. By the help of Mr. Matthew, the main idea will be clear by the end of this episode. Man will help me host this episode. Uh, he have also helped me organize the ideas of this episode and he will be asking some questions. A good way to start my initiative role is with asking the all-knowledgeable and humble Mr. Matthew to kindly honor the listeners by introducing himself. Okay, well, hi, I'm Matthew Kleinstiber. Um, I am an SAT English teacher and college admissions consultant. I live in Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, I've been living here for about a year, and I'm a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Um, okay, so Matt mentioned that, Mr. Matthew, you were writing a book on communism. Would you tell us about it and maybe elaborate on the ideas mentioned in your book? Absolutely. So my book is called The Cool Kid's Guide to Communism, and it's a book <laughs> aimed at middle and high schoolers, I hope, uh, but, you know, really a general audience, but especially high schoolers, uh, middle schoolers. And it's just trying to introduce what communism is, why I think it's a worthwhile philosophy, uh, why I think that it's a, a valuable economic system. And uh, yeah, essentially it's gonna take the form, um, it, it kind of matches, um, it's written um, kind of almost like a play. And uh, I have characters who ask me questions about communism, just kind of like we're doing right now. Mr. Matthew, was it inspired by some occurrences that happened in Riyadh, maybe? Well, I did notice that you guys were very interested uh, when I was when I was teaching in Riyadh and asking me a lot of questions. What is socialism? What is communism? And, uh, you know, it, I think it's hard to know what people don't know. I think, you know, okay. we often just, I just assume that everybody knows the same facts as I do. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... Definitely some of the questions that you guys asked me got me started thinking about the themes in the book and what I wanted to cover in the book. Nice. One subject that I believe relates um, to your book is Gala's pro, uh, pro Elon Musk episode. Uh, what's your opinion on it? Okay, so Elon Musk, a pro Elon Musk episode. Well, uh, you know, I'm guessing that this episode is being made just because there's a lot of anti-Elon Musk sentiment. And I would have to put myself in the anti-Elon Musk category. Uh, I think that, I think that uh, our society has become obsessed with uh, idealizing billionaires, people that, uh, you know, frankly, I would rather be me than Elon Musk or Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos. Uh, I think when you actually look at these people's lives, they're empty, uh, that they have not really given very much to society. Uh, and that Americans, and I guess this, this ideology is spread across the world, that we believe that just because somebody has made billions of dollars, that they are a good person, that they are a smart person, and, and nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, okay. But, you know, in general, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I hear, I hear a lot of bad stories about the workers working at all these companies. I heard a lot of bad stories about Elon Musk's personal assistant, uh, who, you know, Elon Musk uh, just treated like trash. So okay. I'm not particularly impressed. My judgment about somebody is based on, are they a nice person, first of all? 
so okay. that's my feeling. Um, okay. Okay. So uh, after I think after reading about neoliberalism, um, my viewpoint, even my viewpoints, cha- have changed to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Fortunately, uh, that's a good opportunity to start today's discussion. Neoliberalism. Mr. Matthew, what is neoliberalism and how does it link and differ to classical neoliberalism? Yes. Yeah. Um, so neoliberalism. Neoliberalism is a kind of set of, I would call it a, a governmental philosophy or, you know, kind of an economic political philosophy um, that emerged. Uh, can you guys hear me? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That emerged basically in the late 70s and early 1980s, uh, both in the United States and in the UK, especially. Okay. Uh, A lot of people call neoliberalism, you know, Reaganism, Thatcherism, you know, after President Ronald Reagan and and UK Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. Okay. So to understand neoliberalism, you have to take a step back and understand what happened after the end of World War II. So Really, after World War II, the United States and Western Europe saw the greatest global expansion of, you know, the greatest economic expansion that had been ever been seen in in human history. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meanwhile, you had uh, on the other side of the Iron Curtain, the the Soviet Union, uh, you know, doing well in its own right, following a different, you know, economic principle. So the West is following a kind of capitalism. But it's important to mention that the capitalism and the principle of government followed in the West included a large social welfare system. Um, you had, you know, large government, you know, programs, things like welfare, right? If you don't have a job, the government kind of chips in, um, unemployment insurance, um, you know, a pretty vast array of benefits. Uh, in the 1980s, um, you know, essentially profitability started to decline in a lot of capitalist countries. Uh, it was very hard for companies to make a profit. Uh, and, and the reasons behind that are, are various. Uh, and we could go into that. One of the reasons that it became hard for companies to make okay. a profit is, well, from the perspective of, of a company or from the perspective of capitalist power, um, or a capitalist country, workers had simply gained too much power uh, from their perspective. So essentially, mm-hmm. uh, it's hard for, you know, from, from my perspective, the easiest way to make money is to exploit somebody, to exploit somebody's labor. Uh, okay. I start up a factory. I, you know, force you to work as hard as you possibly can while giving you the bare minimum money. Uh, and, and most of my profitability is basically coming from extracting value from your labor if a company can't do that it gets into trouble uh and so companies started having problems doing that in in the late 70s and we can talk about the reasons for that anyway uh the response of the western governments was you know multi-pronged they cut the social welfare state so they cut back on a lot of benefits uh unemployment benefits they cut back on public spending for things like schools uh, okay. public transportation, uh, okay. and companies also had their own response, which was to look for cheaper labor in the third world. And so companies started basically, you know, moving their manufacturing out of the United States, out of the UK into okay. places like 
you know, of course, today we think of China as the, the dominant okay. destination. I believe your answer included the answer of the answer to many of my questions. So, um, um, but uh, now some might confuse capitalism with neoliberalism. So, Mr. Matthew, can you clarify how do these terms differ from one another? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think that capitalism is kind of a piece of neoliberalism. Historically, capitalism has been somewhat constrained, right? You always have you always have actors or governments that are trying to constrain capitalism. I think that, you know, even, you know, you, you would have to be crazy to want a system where everything is purely capitalist, right? Where everything operates according to market principles. We all agree that roads should probably be free, right? We all agree that there should be some level of public education provided to everyone. We don't think that everything should be a marketplace. I will say that, you know, under neoliberalism, the balance has kind of shifted back toward the privatization of our social services. And so, you know, um, one of the things that you'll notice about the U.S. military, for instance, today compared to the United States military during World War II, is that the military actually uh, hires out private companies to do a lot of the things that it used to do internally. Uh, it has a private company, for instance, running its uh, food division. It has private companies actually operating some of its, um, you know, special special missions. Um, you know, things like there, there's a company called, I believe, um, well, now it's called XE. I've forgotten the old name of it, but it's essentially, you know, essentially an entire industry of military contractors has, has popped up around the, the army. And this has happened throughout government services. You see government uh, services throughout Europe and the United States. Basically, the government is selling away things that it used to do and allowing those things to become marketized. And that creates a lot of danger. Uh, private prisons in the United States would be another example of something that I think, you know, we could probably all agree that a prison should not be run for profit by a company. And there are some very huge moral risks in doing something like that. Yeah, you asked that again one of my questions that about like your um how welfare systems and traditional commitments toward labors have changed uh, specifically in the United States and generally in the whole world due to the popularity and rise of new liberalism. I believe you uh, answered like and you stated your position. Yeah. This <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I mean overall my position is that this is a horrible thing and it represents uh, a huge loss of freedom for working people in the United States. Uh, and, you know, one message that I have about capitalism is that there's one thing that capitalism can never guarantee. Uh, the thing that capitalism can never guarantee is it can never guarantee full employment. Capitalism actually likes to have capitalism gets concerned when there's too much uh, employment in a society. It actually prefers that there be a class of people that are forced to work, right? So mm -hmm. from capitalism's perspective, it's best to have a situation where, uh, you know, there is a level of unemployment and there isn't good protection from employment by the government because if people have protection from unemployment, they're not gonna be willing to do bad jobs that capitalists okay. want them to do. Okay, Mr. Matthew, I'm running off the script, but I okay. have this question. Um, 
so while talking to fellow uh, people who believe in, in in the in ideas of such markets they say that it's not fair um to to take the money out of um the capitalists the rich people oh, what do you think of that it's not fair to take the money from the capitalists yeah okay well let me tell you this communists and karl marx karl marx had a beautiful uh, line what is capital he said capital is dead labor okay money in common for, for from a communist or a marxist perspective that i have what money actually represents is uh labor that has now been kind of converted into paper if that makes any sense okay and so to me uh you know money you know it, first of all it, it, you know the only way that you earn that much money is basically through exploitation i don't think there's any other path to billions okay. uh and you know we can go in and, and you know i think if you uh trace where that money came back where that money came from you're not going to be pleased when you see the final answer and where that wealth was actually generated um there's a term keynesianism uh what is keynesianism and how does it associate to neoliberalism well typically keynesianism or is thought of as uh, you know the the opposite of neoliberalism um you know this was an economic so so keynesianism basically got its start uh it's named after I believe john maynard keynes uh who was a british economist and, and a quite brilliant man uh who actually designed the modern monetary system that we use today uh that was all engineered right after the end of world war II. uh and basically set up the united states as the world's dominant economy but this is essentially the belief uh if we can basically summarize it that it's appropriate to use high levels of government spending to promote economic growth um historically you know we have different different ideas about what could promote growth in the case of a crisis and one of the interesting things about capitalism is that there are always going to be crises under capitalism okay. um and so one of the things that capitalists constantly wonder about is what do we do when we reach the next crisis keynes says just go around and essentially borrow and spend your way out of the crisis the pro- the reason the crisis was caused was because money isn't flowing through the economy the solution simply print more money and spend it okay uh, where did that come where do you get that money from okay that's borrowing so it's either borrowing the money or just uh printing more money okay. which creates inflation right yeah. so that that is one potential problem is that that can create inflation um and yeah but essentially it's it typically has come through uh debt debt has okay. been a big a big role so keynes is not really worried about debt because he believes that it's better to have people working and it's better to have the economy uh you know putting that money into people's hands will get the economy kind of you know today we we think of this often in terms of a stimulus right the united states uh hit a recession in 2008 and so the government passed a 750 billion dollar stimulus package basically just pumping money into the economy um and so it is you know 
there there's a battle between people who like to, who want to do that and other people who say no that debt is going to come back to bite us uh you know not such a good idea they would also criticize keynesianism for creating inefficiencies they'll they'll say essentially the government is not very good at deciding how to spend money compared to um you know a private business so really that money may just be propping up companies that are inefficient and would fail under a normal business climate okay uh now let's talk into let's talk about neoliberalism in the gcc okay. a more connected matter if i may say um sure how did neoliberalism strengthen its roots uh there and why in, is the, in the gulf region yeah, gulf. yeah. and why i'm not actually very familiar with that i cannot uh, i cannot you might know more about that than i do okay okay but no another question i mean i'm i'm interested to know uh i think that the gcc countries have uh you know very interesting economies often you know heavily reliant on oil um and you know that one okay. of the interesting things about that is that oil is priced in us dollars on world markets and so sometimes people call uh you know dollars petrodollars because one of the biggest commodities backing up the value of a dollar is the oil underneath the middle east okay <laughs> so. is it I, i believe you answered that but i need to like state it as a as its own question okay is is a privatized market a step that leads to um neoliberalism is a privatized market a step that leads to neoliberalism so uh you know the market existed you know really the question with neoliberalism is not whether a market is a step toward it or not it's 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 really just a matter of what proportion of a country's economy is going to be market based or privatized. And so okay. you'll notice that in the neoliberal uh you know neoliberals neoliberalism's answer to most problems is this. Lower taxes, lower government spending uh and allow the private sector to you know handle pretty much any social situation, any any need, uh any service that's being provided in society. uh and so and you know and that in my mind has very devastating results it means that you know we can no longer rely on governments to fund education and we have okay. uh privatized education systems um healthcare it means we can we we can't rely on the government to provide healthcare so we get privatized healthcare uh services okay. so can be very nasty okay now with the last question is there a positive side to you, to neoliberalism no question mark <laughs> <laughs> okay well that's you know a very interesting question um i think that uh hmm well from a marxist perspective um uh, some marxists believe in something called accelerationism uh and accelerationism is the idea that uh we'll only have a communist society if people are really pushed to their limits and capital is able to do all the things that it wants to do to really go to its limits and destroy all other systems 
and so ironically that might be the positive you know result from neoliberalism that capitalism basically goes too far and people break and the system breaks and, and the economy breaks essentially capitalism still needs all the things that it pretends to hate it needs an educated workforce it needs a healthy workforce uh and uh you know by privatizing everything it may actually undermine itself mm-hmm. um i think i think that's it for this episode thank you for listening and i would like to thank mr matthew for the useful information he shared today with us and man the great and divine man and the wholesome. for his helpful efforts <laughs> all right it. thanks guys